Independent. Expressive of a spirit of independence, self-confident, unconstrained. Hello and welcome to Independence Day. My name is Joe Armstrong and this is the show that examines the changing face of the music business and the people who are doing the changing. Independence Day brings you independent artists, producers and music industry visionaries with in-depth interviews, live performances, and inside information, all without hype and direct from the artists who practice their craft. Tonight on Independence Day, Brian Whelan. Brian Whelan was one of the very first guests on Independence Day, stopping by our studios for the second episode way back on March 9th of 2011. At the time, he was making the rounds in a number of Los Angeles bands and building a reputation as a formidable player on a number of instruments. That reputation put his name on the shortlist of players being considered for a vacancy in Maverick country legend Dwight Yoakam's band. Yoakam needed a versatile musician who could sing harmonies and cover parts on several instruments, including keyboards, accordion, guitar, and pedal steel guitar. But Whelan had never really played the latter, a complicated beast of an instrument that requires all four of a pedal steel player's arms and legs to make its characteristically weepy and lonesome sound. Yoakam met with Whelan and asked the younger musician if he thought he could learn how to play pedal steel for the gig. Whelan wisely replied yes, and in doing so, he stepped into the role of a full-time member of Yoakam's band that would find him playing years of top-tier shows and recording on two of Yoakam's albums. Whelan, who used to be called the kid in Los Angeles music circles, summarily skipped a few grades and got paid to earn what is tantamount to a PhD in real-world music by apprenticing with one of the masters of modern country and western music. And now, after four years, Whelan has taken the courageous steps to leave Yoakam's band and strike out on his own. After all, no matter how good the gig is, your name will never be on the marquee if the spotlight is always on the other guy. Welcome to Independence Day, Brian Whelan. Hey, buddy. Hey, buddy. Good How's to it? see you again. Good to see you, man. It's been a while. You know, it's funny. I start off almost every single show with, hey, man. Hey, and man. I've, and I've become very, very <laughs> self-conscious about that. So I'm trying to think of new ways and new things to say to people when they start the show. But I don't know. Like That's like the, that's like the standard musician greeting. Yeah. And when hey, it, it fits And it fits the vibe here, too, your, your yeah. casual vibe. Yeah. Well, casual, convers- casual conversational is, is what I like to... That's, the, that's the, the thing I like to foment on the show. Because I want it to be, you know, we're talking. You know, it's not just... You know, why do you wear this kind of boots? Why do you use this kind of amp? It's the typical <laughs> stuff. Everybody hears that kind of stuff. So, man, this is a very unique thing because you, this is, a, this, is a, this is a groundbreaking moment for our show, for my show, because you're the very first artist in 120-odd shows that I've had back on. I've invited back on to do it. You've done 120 shows. 100 plus. 20, yeah, we're almost 130 now. That, that's very impressive, Joe. Thanks, man. It's a great show, and I, gotta, I am honored to be, to be the first repeat guest. Oh, yeah. well, that's very honor, exciting. The honor is mine. So let's talk back. I mean, there, there's been so many changes in your world. Let's go all the way back March 9th, 2011, which was when I had you on the show the very first time. Wow. And then first of all, now we're doing the Mutual Admiration Society thing. We'll get this out of the way right of the way is thank you so much for coming on the show when there wasn't a show. Nobody had any idea what this was or what it was going to be. And, you know, I was nervous. Like, how am I going to talk people into doing this doing this thing? You know, giving of their time, giving of their music and coming on and talking about this guy. I had no idea how it was going to go. So having a guy like you, such a talented guy who'd been around playing in bands for so long, come on the show in the beginning, you know, that's like a signal to other people that, hey, this has validity. It's well, worth doing. And so thank you. No, well, you are welcome, and, and thanks for saying that about me. I, I, um, I think that this is a great show. I think you do a great job in terms of, um, you know, in my experience, I've done a lot of interviews, and I've been in bands where I watched interviews, and I've just seen a, a ton of interviews take place. And I got to say, uh, a lot of people are not so thoughtful. You know, they kind of 
take 10 minutes and they ask you some questions that yeah. you've heard a lot of times. Yeah, yeah. And so whenever I, I kind of try to help wrestle up uh, guests for you, talk to my friends, and, I'll, and I always tell them about it, and I go, you know, this is not your standard interview. Yeah. He'll probably ask you at least a couple things that you probably have never been asked before. Okay. And, well, that's, you know, and that, But that's and, what I like about it. I think that's what makes it special. And thank you. And that's what I aim to do, too. I want it to be interesting for the listener as well as for me and as for the artist, you know, because everybody gets asked the same questions over and over again. Anyway, enough of that stuff. The house cleaning stuff is out of the way. So the first detail I, want, I would like to mention is that when we did that, that first interview almost four years ago, almost exactly. Um, you had just started playing with Dwight Yoakam. Correct. You know, major label, big time guys. And it, but it was so new, because I can reveal this now, that we had talked <laughs> about a couple things with Dwight's band in your interview. And then you called me later and said, like, hey, can you take that stuff out? Yeah, well, because and, you know, and I understand because it's like that. That's a job, you know. You maybe you'd lose the job if you talk about this stuff. So I totally get it. Yeah, well, it was very new at that time, and I, I, I hadn't really learned very much about about those parameters, right? And so I figured that it would be better to just play it safe. Um, but you know, looking back on it now, it it probably wasn't a big deal and it yeah. certainly is not a big deal to talk about it now. Well, when it comes to getting a gig anywhere, but especially in the music business where, you know, there are hundreds of people lined up behind you to get that gig, you know, at any time, you know, so there's, you can, there's, there's almost nothing you can do to be too safe with that kind of situation. And Aaron, you're the right. side of professionalism. Uh, yeah, you're right about all that. It, it definitely you <laughs> kind of feel like it could go away at any moment. It obviously could. Yeah, and it kind of just feels, um, and really, like I said before, it was just uncharted yeah. territory, and I was um, kind of walking on eggshells. So that's probably why that happened. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And I want to talk a lot about the Dwight thing, but let's save that for just a little bit because okay. you know the the big thing in your world is that you've actually decided to leave Dwight's band. That is, yeah, that's which the is, newest thing, which is a big, big change. You yeah, know, and a hard thing to give up. Uh, yeah. It was a very hard uh, gig to leave. I did it uh, for four years. So I guess right when I came on the yeah. show before, I had just just started. Yeah. Um, and you just recently played your last show with Dwight just a couple of weeks ago, right? That's right. A couple of weeks ago, I did my last show uh, with, uh, with Dwight in Denver, Colorado. And I'm going to go do my own tour and focus on my own music. Yeah. And, I, you know, it was, a, it was a really tough call because it was a great gig. Yeah. It was a great experience. Um, he's a great artist. Yeah. I mean, put another way, I mean, it's like, I know why you left Dwight's band, but you left Dwight's band because of the reasons you just mentioned, you know, which is a very, very courageous thing to do. Well, thank you. Yeah, I've, thank you. I, I'm not sure. I mean, I just, I, I know that I did not want to wonder yeah. uh, what would have happened and so, if you hadn't pursued your own uh, musical goals, yeah. If if I hadn't decided to go do it, because I, I've, you know, these last four years, I have tried to do shows and release records, um, et cetera, but there isn't enough time. Yeah. So it's what it's what our friend Mitch Marine would call a high quality problem. Yeah. But it's still a problem. Yeah. Uh, because I don't I don't have that outlet. Yeah. So. It was a real tough choice, but um, it was time. Yeah, because you and I have talked about this a few times over the past. Because we're friends too, we've talked Correct. about this over the past couple of years. Because I've I've been in that situation too, where you're working 
with, you know, I use this a lot in Mitch's interview. Like that's like the gravy gig. Sure. The gig that everyone strives to get, especially as a musician <laughs> well, gets older, you know, where they've got a family like Gene, our, our friend, Dwight's right. guitar player or, or someone who's, you know, they're tired of living in a van or they're tired of doing this. So they get a, they get to a, they get to working in a band where, it's a much higher level, higher profile, more money, more, more stability, but then they kind of have to sacrifice their own career if they're, if they're a writer and a performer on their own to do that. Yeah, and, and when you're on the gravy gig also, it's, it's, uh, it's so funny that Mitch calls it that. When oh, you're, I call when, it that. Oh, you call Okay, you call it that. Um, that's very funny. It's a gravy gig. I, it's, uh, you don't have as much control of your life in general. Right. Yeah. Um, and so if you are older or have those commitments, uh, it's, it's a good gig to have. But no matter where you are in life, um, you know, when you're working for a major act, you know, you don't have a lot of uh, autonomy. Yeah. No matter, I mean, if you have kids or not. Right. It's, it's you, you got to go be there and, and be part of their thing. Yeah, you're essentially on retainer. Yeah. No, you are. You are. Believe yeah. me. Because that's I mean, you're not, but right. you are. Yeah, people see the, the limos and the glory and the MTV, or that's kind of a joke, <laughs> as a joke and not a joke at the same time. But, but they see, you know, the Grammys, which were just on recently, and they see, you know, the big glitz and the glamour of rock and roll, but they don't see the green room in Tulsa, or they don't see, you know, that's, that's the kind of the grind. Even at that level, it is a grind. Even if you're flying in a plane to oh, gigs, yeah. which you guys would do with Dwight, right? Sure. No, I mean, I, again, high quality problems, but the, the travel is, um, I mean, it, he works hard. Yeah. Dwight's a hardworking man, and it's it's actually been a, a pretty major inspiration to see just how how hard he works. Yeah, I mean he's been doing it a long time, and the career is still clearly the center and the focus yeah. and and it, and the the drive. Yeah, and so watching that over these last four years was a real central piece in my own decision to to leave. Yeah. Because you see someone and you go, well, he didn't get to where he got by playing in someone else's band. Right. You know what I mean? Mm -hmm. Uh so, you know, like I said, it was tough, but it, it was it kind of it kind of showed me the way. Yeah. You know what I mean? While 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 doing it. And I have to say something else to you, Joe. Um you are actually one of the first people that I told about this decision. Mm -hmm. We ran into each other in a gas station. I don't know if you remember. I do, of it course. A couple, couple of months ago, and uh, we just started talking about it and then talked about me coming on the show again um, because it would just be a completely different yeah. uh, interview from the previous one. Yeah, I mean, I got the feeling at the time when we were talking in that parking lot that you just it was a palpable sensation that you needed to unload a little bit on somebody about this because it <laughs> yeah. seemed like you were carrying around a very, very heavy weight. Right. And because that's the way life is sometimes. If you tell one person about something, a friend, a confidant, someone right. who understands what you're going through, uh, it, it removes that burden just a little bit or gives you validity for your decision. You know, I, I learned something in, in talking to professionals about this kind of thing that sometimes you need to be given permission to do something. You know you can. Interesting. You know you can do it. You know it's possible, and you know that you will do it. But sometimes, just hearing that from someone else is enough to push you and out of the nest. I'm sure that there was some of that going on. Yeah. You know, I mean, I, it was happenstance that we ran into one another, but at the time, it wasn't something that I was yeah. really putting yeah. out there because um, I don't yeah. even know if I had, uh, I hadn't 
put in my notice yet or anything. Yeah. It was just something that I was kind of considering. So that right. was very heavy. It actually got easier once I'd given yeah. the notice. It was like tearing off a Band-Aid or yeah, whatever. Yeah, definitely, definitely. But you are uh, a friend, an old friend, and a smart guy, and I, I trust you, and you've been in this business, so you know... Yeah. You know... Every, you know every side of the business, all these all these different parts of it, and, a little bit at least, and what it takes, <laughs> or a little bit about a lot of sides. You know what I mean? Yeah, it, yeah, it's, definitely. You know, and so I just I knew that you would would get it. Yeah, definitely. Well, not only did I get it, but having watched your career develop from the days way back in the broke down slash broken west, like yes. I, you know, and then once you got the Dwight gig, you know, every I mean, everyone in the industry or everyone in town was very happy for you, and I myself was very happy for you. But I, even I knew even then that this day would come. Right. That if you're serious about what you're doing in terms of your own music, that's the only way. Yeah, and now you do sound like my dad, too. It's the only way. I always knew. Anyway, <laughs> that's oh, what don't, he said. Oh, don't say that. Anyway, so I'm talking with, uh, I'm talking with Brian Whelan, Los Angeles-based musician. You can learn about him at Brian Whelan Music, and that's W-H-E-L-A-N music.com. You can also find him tweeting at Whelan Music, and he's an old friend of mine, and he's just a great musician, a good human being. So let's hear a little bit of music. This is, let's see, what have we got queued up here? This is new song so this song is called we got it all we got it all okay. and this is uh, part of this uh recording project that i've been working on with mitch marine uh, the last couple of years that's dwight's drummer and our friend yes uh dwight's drummer um and uh and we've been working on this music for a couple of years and i'm i'm in the process of kind of figuring out what the release is going to yeah. be but I'm, I'm happy to play uh one for you here today so this is uh, we got it all all right brian Whelan, brandon music on independence day Nobody else will push me around No one else 
Joe Armstrong, you are listening to Independence Day, and thank you from the bottom of my heart for doing so. I worked very hard at this to bring you great musicians, and Brian Whelan is absolutely no exception to that. BrianWhelanMusic.com is where you can learn about him, also at Whelan Music, and there's some new stuff up on that website. You should check it out. He's got a tour coming up. He's got the better part of a whole album recorded. Not exactly sure where that's going to wind up yet, whether it's going to be an album or an EP, but well, maybe we'll get to the bottom of that in this discussion. Who knows? He spent the last four years or so touring in Dwight Yoakam's band. Perhaps you've heard of him. And, uh, man, the stuff you must have learned. You know, I was thinking, like, being in a band, you know, the other bands you've been in is kind of like being in high school, but like, or maybe even college. But, like, being in Dwight's band must have been like a graduate degree in the music business. Yeah, I mean, that's, that's nice of you to say. I, I, would, uh, I would say that I learned a lot. And I just... You know, it's really great to watch somebody who's really good at what they do, someone who's born to do born to be on stage and to entertain. Um that's one of my favorite things to do anyway. And so, you know, getting to play with him was really great and to watch that um and I was fortunate enough to be a part of two albums with him and so I was actually able to uh, kind of watch his creative process a little bit. And that's, you know, again, it was all just very inspiring and pointed me in the direction of, yeah. uh, of, of really doing it myself because yeah. it was, I went from in the early stages just being kind of amazed and bowled over by the opportunity and uh, his, his talent. And steady paycheck. Steady paycheck uh, and other kind of perks and, and just being amazed by that. And then, kind of over these four years realizing as I did in the last year that if I wanted that, I wasn't going to get it here. Yeah. Um, you know, and there's, there's some irony in that, but it, that was the biggest lesson of all Yeah, of everything that I learned was that, you know, it, I, you're never going to, you know, have your name up there. Right. You know, being in somebody else's band and, you know, from, um, you know, the broken West, to Eugene Edwards, our friend, uh, to Dwight. I mean, there's a long list of bands that I've been in. And you learn something in each one. Um, but but like I say, it started to get to the point when you, you said this earlier, it started to get like there was just like this weight on me and just like this need to just get get this out of me and go yeah. and go be the guy front and center on stage. And uh, and deal with whatever comes with that. 
Yeah, and watching you play over the past, gosh, decade now, Yeah, I mean, it's been a progression. I read the little description I read from your show back four years ago, and I, you know, I used the phrase, you know, you've stepped out of the shadow from the drum riser. Because before you were playing bass right. in your first bands, you know, first, you know, through uh, Broken West right. and then through any <laughs> other instruments too. But that was kind of your main role in the band and mm-hmm. also in Eugene's band. And... You know, then you know you started to step out on guitar and do more. Which was your, your original instrument, right? Your principal instrument was guitar. My principal instrument is piano. Okay. So I started taking piano lessons at eight years old, but but guitar came, guitar and bass came, uh, you know, when I was thirteen, yeah, twelve or thirteen. Yeah, but you, I mean, I've, I guess I haven't seen you play except. But those are the primary with... instruments. Guitar and right. piano are the and, and vocals. You know, yeah. would be the primary instruments. Yeah, and, I guess and, I'm just saying. I mean, I've only ever seen you play keyboards when you're sitting in with somebody. I've never sure. seen you do that, even with Eugene's band. Right, right. Or you know, even with your own thing, you just kind of stick to the guitar. Right, right. So like now, so you came out of the shadows and then started doing your own gigs and then wound up with the Dwight gig. But it, I mean, it was almost like a little side detour go do the Dwight thing. It's like you had to go get <laughs> well, your... Well, it's like you had to go do your doctorate, you know? It is a that's, little that's like how, that's that. That's how I feel about hell it. Of a, hell, of a side, hell of a side track. Yeah. But, I mean, it's... Uh, yeah, it just, it just is what it is. It, it was... I feel like every day, and, and uh, as, I, as I book this tour and go yeah. out on my own, I, I definitely think back to it. And I feel like every day there's something that kind of comes back to me, and, I, and I'll go, huh, oh, yeah. You yeah. Know, it, it, it is like that. Yeah. So tell me now that you've you know you're free as a bird, you know you've you've you've, you've left the nest again. You're yeah. going to go do your own thing again. What does this look like to you? Well, it, I mean, it's a lot of work. That's the first. I mean, that's the first thing that I can think of because right now I'm just working all day every day, and you know, doing what? Booking booking shows is a big part of it, and. Um, kind of all the promo that goes with that, be it posters or trying to get on the radio in some town. I mean, even just routing it and figuring out the mileage from town to town and all this stuff. Yeah, I mean, yeah. I've, I've been really lucky to have that done for me for the last eight years. For yeah. four years in the Broken West and four years with Dwight, I was like a kind of just like rolling along for the ride. Yeah, And, you know, I did my job but um, <clears throat> this is kind of a chance to show some of those things that I've learned and really, but again, just really work my butt off to try to make this happen. So are you booking it completely on your own? I'm booking it completely on my own. I mean, to be honest, that my first goal is to try to get somebody to book for me bef- yeah. before I find somebody to release a record and yeah, yeah. all the people that you need you know, on your team. Support. But, but that's a big priority is getting someone to help with the booking because I'm, I'm, I'm ready to go. I mean, you asked what it looked like. It looks like very much the same. It's like being gone a lot, doing a lot of performing, but it's in a different context. Obviously, yeah. these places will probably, you know, will be smaller. And then I'll be there. I will be, you know, the front man instead of yeah. the side man. So it's a different context, but it's a lot of performing is how that looks to me. Yeah. Now, so for this this set of dates you've got coming up very, very soon, you're leaving, I think, this weekend. Uh, you know, you're going across the Southwest, eventually reaching as far east as Nashville and kind of working your way back to Texas for South by Southwest. Uh, are you doing this solo? Are you taking people along? What, is, what does that look like? It's, um, it's all solo. And, um, you know, there are several reasons for that. The, mo- the most obvious one to see is, is um, financial. 
but there's another really important part of it, which is that I, I really want to have it be about my voice. And, uh, you know, when there are drums involved or when, you know, I'm playing electric guitar, those things can obscure it a little bit. Yeah. And I think that, you know, my best shot is to get my voice out there so people can hear it. Yeah. So it it does limit uh, somewhat the kind of places you can play because, um, you know, if I go play Bob's Country Bunker from, you know, the Blues Brothers with the chicken wire and that whole thing. Both kinds, country yeah, yeah. and western. <laughs> I mean, I, I think that, uh, you know, that kind of, uh, I might get eaten alive in a place like that. Yeah. But um, if I if I get booked there, I'll I'll give it my best shot. Yeah. And I and as I've said, you know, explain to some of these bookers and some of these people that I'm, you know, promoters rather, not not bookers, but in some of these towns they go, you know, well you're playing acoustic, you know, singer songwriter solo acoustic. They're like, we don't want to put any people to sleep. Right. And I have to tell them that. You know, even with an acoustic guitar, I ain't gonna be putting anybody yeah. to, to sleep. Like I understand there's no drums, but it's you yeah. know what I mean. Well, there's a lot of ways to approach that. You know, there's the it becomes a validity thing, I think, because there's a, the it sounds harsh, but there singer songwriter guitar players are not even a dime a dozen. They're like a dime a million. Sure. Oh you yeah. Know, I mean, I'm one of them. Right. You know, there's a no, million. No, there's and a lot. lots of extremely talented people who do that. You know, Jeff Tweedy is one of them. You know, there's everybody does that at some point in their career. So when you're looking at it from the perspective of someone booking a venue on a Saturday night, you know, unless that's that's like that weird catch twenty two. I always think of Sam Beam from Iron and Wine because mm. he's quiet. <clears throat> sure. And there's a validity issue there. Like you how do you convince people that that's valid? How do you convince people that they're gonna go on Saturday night and be quiet and calm? And, you know, they're going to, he's going to sing what are essentially lullabies, you know, mm. versus what you're going to do, which is a more kind of amped up version of the acoustic. It's basically, it's almost like a band with just a guitar and a voice. That's what I'm going for. Um, but, you know, Sam Beam is great. And I think it's actually much harder. You know what I mean? Um, the, the quieter you are, right. the harder it is to get it across and, you know, the better you have to be. Yeah. So the fact that, you know, he's done so well is a testament to his talent, yeah. you know. And also, just other, the, you know, luck and hard work are a big yeah. part of the story for anybody. Yeah. Whether you're talking about Jeff Tweedy or me or you or anybody. I mean, it's all, there are a lot of these other factors, timing, yeah, luck, you know, your connections and how hard you're willing to work. And a lot of those, you don't control. Yeah. You can control how hard you work but the rest of it is out of your hands, even your talent. Yeah. I mean, you have the talent you have. Yeah. So, you know, I mean, it's it'll help to, um, you know, that it's not super mellow music, but it will still be a challenge. Yeah. And I think that, I don't know, I think it will be a good challenge. Yeah. I'm, actually, so I'm actually looking forward to uh, being by myself and... You know, I'll be doing the traveling by myself. I'll be doing the performing by myself. It's all just by myself. Yeah. And it's just kind of, it's an opportunity, you know, yeah. and You're, I just think it's the right time. Yeah. And so I'm, I'm hoping that it, I'm hoping that it all works out. Yeah. Out and when you're, and you're building something, <laughs> let's say you're building something from the ground up. 
you know, it's like you're essentially starting over. You know, right. you've reached this point in your career where you've had success, you've lived, you've made a living in music now for several years, which is hard enough unto itself in any right. in any paradigm in any regard. Uh, and that's you know, some, there's a amount of luck involved in that and talent, of course. But talent, I've always felt, is the minimum thing. Like talent, you start with that. Yeah, you start with that, and then it becomes the work, and then hopefully the luck will come. But luck favors the prepared. You know, luck, luck favors the yeah. Luck and and timing are a little are a little unwieldy. Yeah. Um, but the the talent, yeah, you start with whatever abilities you have, and then the hard work is really the only thing that you can control. And so that's why yeah, it looks the way it does for me right now because all I can do every day is get on the phone and start trying to make it happen. Yeah. And like I said, I think that once I get to a lot of these places and people start hearing me sing, um, I mean, and I know I don't mean to sound arrogant, but I just mean like that's very different from being a a, fo- a voice on a phone right. calling from L.A. saying, please help me. Yeah. And I've been really lucky so far that enough people have said yes to that. Yeah. And some of them know me and some of them don't, but they've all said yes. And so I'm going to go there and, you know, start singing and my kind of pie in the sky dream is that they will go, oh, I, I see. Right. I'm glad I booked this guy and maybe I'll book him again in three months or six yeah. months or whatever. I mean, you, you understand this. I think, this uh, I think you're going to do just fine. I think you're, you're a talented enough guy. You've, you've gone to got your PhD now. <laughs> And here, you know, you're going to walk in there with your degree, which isn't, you know, which is no piece of paper of any kind at all. It's experience really is what it is. And then you're going to do the show and people are going to dig it. You'll keep doing it, man. So let's hear what this sounds like. You've got, what's the first song you're going to play for us? Man, this is a new song, I think, right? Yeah, this is a new song. And this is the first song that I wrote for this project that I have now that this unreleased music, but I've been playing this song live a lot. Uh, I really like it. This song's called Sugarland. All right. So very happy to have him once again, Brian Whelan with a brand new song called Sugarland on Independence Day. And I look again Baby, do you want to be my friend And stop debating Wait in Sugarland You're just a kitten, baby You're so nice You don't even have to ask me twice I'm just elated To be waiting in Sugarland Don't mean it won't last You can leave it in the distant past Give yourself to this It's like a movie out in Hollywood I'd be there now if I thought my heart could take it Waiting in Sugarland Where you been? We can 
I used to think it would be so hard If you were out there in my own backyard Anticipating and waiting in sugar land I'm waiting in sugar land And I'm just waiting in sugar land Good song, man. Thank you, sir. I love to hear it. I love to hear it. I love to hear the music coming out of you too. And it's uh, this kind of ties into what we we're talking about before we got into this is this idea. Like I'm, it's kind of formating as formulating as this like PhD idea of like being into White's band, right? Like watching your career and watching your songwriting progress, watching the you know, the way you do it, like uh, it something very specific strikes me about seeing you perform now, both with a band and without a band, is that when you came in to do it the first time, you brought Ross, your friend, Flournoy, who was your, uh, the singer from uh, The Broken West. Correct, the yeah, Down. old friend. Uh, you know, having a crutch to lean on is also kind of, you know, of it's, it's a good thing to have when you're doing that kind of thing. There's a different time in your career. The amount of confidence that you display now as a performer is like night and day, which isn't to say that you were bad at it before, but it's obvious to me as a fan of music and as a guy who knows you that you are much more confident now. Well, thank you, buddy. As a writer, as a performer, and and that's the way it should go. You know, I would be worried if it were the other way around. Yeah. Well, and this this tour, we should call this the crutchless tour. You yeah. know what I mean? Because there there ain't any more crutches. Fly, damn it. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Pushed out of the nest. There's a phrase, uh, Ray Brad. I'm sorry to interrupt, but there's a, there's a Ray Bradbury phrase, which is one of my mantras. I absolutely love it. It's he says, you know, some people say jump and the net will appear, right? <laughs> but I don't kind of like a net is like it just catches you. Bradbury said, which is kind of different, uh, God rest his soul, um, jump and build your wings on the way down, which I think <laughs> is better. It's a, for me, it's a better analogy because you just got to jump and like you don't have any wings. You don't even have anything to build them with. You just do it. Yeah, and it puts the responsibility on the individual, exactly. w- which is uh, a little more realistic than, you know, jump and the net will appear as a faith-based argument. Right. And, um, you know, it's... You have to have faith, you know, but ultimately it will be the work. Yeah. You know, it will be the, the wings you build on the way down and how fast you build them and how, how good they are. Yeah. You know what I mean? Yeah, exactly. Like you said, the onus is on you. Yeah. The onus is on you to do that. So you've got this tour, you've got this record. Let's just talk a little bit about the recording project because sure. you've been doing this while you're with Dwight. Now, I'm, I'm, I'm assuming, you know, you had regular income with Dwight, so then that allows you to just go in and record whenever you can right. with musicians. And you've also got the benefit of, you know, talk about who's on those recordings because like Mitch Marini. Everybody. Become, Mitch, Mitch has become a close friend of yours, I know. Yes. And that's Dwight, still Dwight's drummer. So he's a top A-list drummer that you can get to play on your stuff. Stuff, right. Uh, relatively well, yes. easily. Yeah. And that's been, you know, that's been another, uh, that's been another aspect of this. I'm just trying to, I'm trying to think of the best way to put it. I, he, he's the, he's the glue of that band, of Dwight's band. Um, and, you know, he's been doing it a long time. He's a really smart guy. He's a really talented guy. And, um, it was a really great experience to work with him because um, he would play live too. We did shows right. and then we did these records together. We did two or three um, records together. And, um, you know, he's a great producer. I know when he came on your show, that was the, um, 
I know he talked about the the Dwight band a little, but it was yeah. a lot about his production. And, yeah. and he's, you know, he's a really good producer. He's got a very um, different style from a lot of other producers that I've seen. He's, um, he obviously is very musical and he knows a lot about, you know, he just knows a lot about music, like the technical side of music. So he's not in there talking about colors and vibes and stuff. I mean, he really knows what's going on. Um, you know, he plays other instruments and, and things like that. But that's been, that's been one of the big blessings of, of that gig is getting to work with Mitch. And unfortunately it's, um, it's going to be less right now. Um, but you know, like I said, it's, it's just, it's just all part of it. Yeah. But getting to work with him, we, we did the music. He's probably talked about this, that there's a studio called station house and the proprietor and engineer is a man named Mark Rains. And uh, several years ago, I guess about two and a half years ago, Mitch approached me about working with a guy named Jimmer Perdasky, mm-hmm. and we went to that studio. And I had worked with Mark in his, his old studio in Hollywood, but after we did the Jimmer record in this studio, I just fell in love with the room the, and the drum sounds that he was getting there. And I've always really liked Mark too. He's a very laid back guy, which I like. And I've just been there ever since. Uh, I started working on my own stuff there. Sugarland was the first thing we recorded. That was two years ago now. Um, but we did a, a Rod Melanson record there, uh, Amy Blaschke record there. So in the last two years, we did four records at this studio. Yeah, and hopefully we'll be doing more this year. And it's it's, I would just say about the recording process that I'm really glad to have found a place where I can be creative. Yeah, and it it does cost money, um. So so the the clock is a factor, but, um, you know, just having a place where you can kind of feel free, and be creative, and um, you know. It's also nice, you know, to not have an engineer who just talk talks yeah. your ear off. You know, he he's a very like soft spoken guy, yeah. and I've noticed a lot of the time when I'm recording, you know, the engineer engineers like to talk. I think it's a solitary job, and they like to talk. But when you're paying for it, yeah, I don't want to, you know, I don't like that necessarily. Yeah. Well, plus there's the voodoo <laughs> there's the voodoo aspect of recording too, which is there's this I don't know six sense kind of thing where you vibe call it maybe sure. where a room has a specific sound city is an example of sure. something like that where by all rights that room should not have had the vibe that it did yeah it's like in a strip mall out in north hollywood somewhere like an industrial or muscle, north shoals, muscle or, shoals yeah i mean we're dumpy or the motown studio like it's it's like in a split right. level house right right and something about a specific place and time and who knows i mean we don't want to get all poltergeist about it or whatever it is that makes it happen. Some of that is the the environment fomented by the people who work there. Right, yeah. You know? And some of it's the room itself, and some of it's, you know, who knows. You know, Motown and Muscle Shoals, and, and it, it's it's the case for all these studios. I, I believe Sound City, too. I mean, these people work with what they had. Right. But, you know, they were talented people and visionary people, and whatever the sound they got from the two-story, you know, split-level house or whatever it was, that that became their sound. Right. You know what I mean? And it, it be it, even bigger. I mean, it became their brand. Yeah. And when they made a lot of money, 
they didn't go get a better studio. I mean, they kept recording at Motown because that was the sound. Yeah, that's where the tambourine sounds good, man. Yeah, that's for sure. That's the whole Motown thing. Yeah, and I, I just, I feel that way about this studio, you know, and I recommend, I recommend Station House a lot to people, but, you know, I do some production work also, and, you know, Mitch does production work, and we both just want to do everything there. Yeah. Are you mixing there too? Yeah. Okay. Uh, Mark kind of mixes as he goes. Pretty pretty talented guy, and you know another another kind of thing to talk about is, you know, there's a shorthand because now it's coming up on on three years working at this you know two and a half three years at this studio. I've I've known him even longer than that, but he knows what I'm going to ask for yeah. before I ask for it, and so he's kind of mixing a lot of these things as he goes. So it's not like you have to be like, oh, okay, now we're done recording yeah. and now we're going to go mix. I mean, it's he's kind of doing it as yeah. he goes because he, he knows what we're all going to be asking for. You know what I mean? And you could say that for any trade, honestly. I was thinking about that. I produce mm. a, a daily news show every day here in Los Angeles. And you, you know, it's, I've been doing it just about a year now. Uh, and you establish a working relationship, but that continues to evolve. But then there comes a point where it gets easier. And you don't know exactly when that's going to happen. It might happen after a week. It might happen after a year. It might happen after five years. But that's the funny thing about life is you don't know when that's going to happen or how it's going to change, but it will. And it usually gets simpler. Like you said, it's the shorthand. It's this un, unseen thing where, you know, you know, okay, so you're, you go out and start setting up a deluxe reverb to do a guitar overdub, but he knows exactly which mic you're going to want on that particular right. amp and where you're going to put it and how far it's going to be, whether you want it on axis on the speaker, off axis on the speaker, et cetera, because yeah. it's, you established that relationship. So it's good that it's, it, that's, you can't buy that really. I mean, I guess you buy it in a roundabout way, but you can't, that just kind of well, happens. Yeah, you can't make it happen. Yeah. You're going to be paying for an engineer in a studio no matter what. Right. Um, but you can't you can't force any of that and that kind of stuff and, and you know Mark and I have a, a really good relationship and a good working relationship in that studio um, and I would include Mitch in that too I think the three of us have really done a lot of yeah really good work there and and um you know I'm yeah. very I'm very fortunate to have had those those relationships I want to hear about your you being a producer putting on a different hat being yeah. a producer but first I want you to play another song because you know we just keep talking we'll never get to the music so what's this next time I understand playing? okay I'll play uh, this is an older song this is from a decider it came out a couple of years ago and this is a song by my friend Mike Stinson called brand new love song okay Brian Whelan once again on Independence Day About yourself, no one else got a brand new love song to sing for you. And the worst thing about it is it's true. Why does every chance I take make my heart break for no one's sake? Why does every that I need 
make my heart bleed and go to weed. Got a brand new love song to sing for you. And the worst thing about it is it's true. Yes, the worst thing about it is the truth in every line. And the only saving grace is that it rhymes. Why do all the fools I bet keep lingering? a fool again why does everything that I see remind me what it used to be I got a brand new love song to sing for you and the worst thing about it is it's true it's true the worst thing about the worst thing about it, the worst thing about it is it's true. My name is Joe Armstrong. You are listening to Independence Day. Drop by indepday.com, I-N-D-E-P-D-A-Y.com to hear everything that's there, including Brian Whelan's episode, two Brian Whelan episodes now, 125 plus other artists on there. And man, there's some good stuff on there. Like I just randomly, I go back myself and it's nothing to do with me, honestly. I just go back and listen just to see like yeah. how, how, what the show sounded like a year ago, two years ago, three years ago. And I stumble across something because I had other engineers at one point and some of that stuff's really good. These Stone Foxes, Oh yeah. Go back and listen to their episode. They just got their van stolen about a month ago, by the way. I, I saw that. Yeah. But man, those guys rock and their Independence Day tracks, which Valentino did. He was the guy we produced that when we were uh, back at yeah, yeah, Passing sure. the City College. Uh, and man, those tracks sound fantastic. Yeah. Listen to them. Turn them up. I will. It's the thing to do. So I'm um, talking with Brian Whelan. He spent the last four years or so playing in Dwight Yoakam's band. We'll talk a little bit more about the Dwight Yoakam aspect in a minute. But he's done something very, very courageous. He has jumped out of the nest, voluntarily left his gig with Brian, with you know, on, on, on good terms, with Dwight, to go off and do his own thing, which is what you have to do as a musician if you're going to be the Dwight someday, you know, or be the boss, right? You know, and and a lot of that comes from. I've, it comes from in, inside. You know, it's something you can't not do. You know? Yes, I do know. <laughs> anyway. <laughs> your phone is your phone's ringing off the hook. I notice this as we're doing this because you're talking to booking people, you're talking to promotions people, you know. That's that's the other funny thing about this business is you get into it play music but then you wind up being an administrator. Yeah, well no, I'm looking forward to getting out on the tour and actually having to play every night. Yeah. You know what I mean? Because having I, to play, I like that interesting choice of words there. Yeah, getting to play every night. <laughs> no, get, yeah, no, it's true. It's true. Um, yeah, it's a gift, you know, to get to get to play. 
But oh, I guess what I meant by saying I have to play every night is that there, there are not very many off nights on this tour. So you got to drive every day, right. and you got to play, drive again, and um, there is not going to be as much time for yeah. this other stuff, you know. And the other stuff is necessary: posters and pictures right. and websites and all that stuff. And it's necessary, but once I get out there, there ain't going to be any more time. I mean, it's just going to be doing the tour. Yeah. So in a way, it will be a little bit more relaxing. This time, yeah. this time right now is. Uh, you know, running around with like a like a chicken. Yeah, it's almost like the tour is the wedding reception. <laughs> sure, you know. Oh yeah, you, no, you that's you a plan, great analogy. You planned this for like three years, and then you get to that day, and you got to go up <laughs> on the altar and do the <laughs> I do thing, which is like finally putting the key in the ignition and leaving. Yeah. To go on the tour, but then once you're on the tour, it's like okay, now it's now it's a process. Yeah, and it's just people out there. It's just people. Yeah. It's just people and music and miles. And that's my favorite part of this business yeah. too, honestly, is getting out among the English and then just going to see new stuff. Even if it's a town you've been to before, it's different from your day-to-day existence and it's new stuff. Yeah. I love that aspect of it. Well, and yeah, and just just a, a small example of that is, you know, uh, my my gig I've had these last four years, you know, we travel at night. Yeah. And, um, you know, so you wake up in a town. You know what I mean? And this will be, this is the opposite. This is, right. you know, driving from 10 to 4 every day. Yeah. And then you kind of hang out in a town in the evening and do the show and stay there. Where are you sleeping? <sighs> Anywhere they'll let me. <laughs> a, lo- a lot of these uh, gigs have hotels okay. attached. Um, I have friends and family in, in uh, yeah. other towns. Uh A good buddy, Todd Kivy in Austin, is going to be uh, put me up. Uh, a significant amount of this tour is time spent in Austin. I think yeah. probably five or six nights. So I'm going to stay there, and and you know if I have to get the odd hotel, it's in the budget. But you know, like I said, it's just me, and I'm not I'm not above sleeping on a couch. Yeah. I've done I've done plenty of it. Yeah, and that's I I love people who uh, you know it's like the, I can it's kind of like the Ani DeFranco thing. I mean, sure. it was years and years ago that she did this, but uh, and she's certainly not alone. Where they, the artist will literally just go out and tour, you know, and they'll they'll have nights planned where they know they have like a safe port, a friend or a relative or whatever, a campsite even, who knows. But then there are certain times where like they'll go and they'll play the show and they're actually looking for somewhere to stay based on someone they meet. They'll stay with the waitresses. They'll mm-hmm. stay, stay in her spare bedroom. Right. Or stay... You know, God only knows. Well, I'm not really allowed to stay with any waitresses, but I'm but I'm going to <laughs> waiters. I think, I, yeah, <laughs> yeah, waiters, bartenders. No, I Bus just boy. I uh, I definitely uh, some of these towns. I think that that will happen, but that's yeah, um, that's a kind of a thing that you have to do. And and Ani DeFranco would be the first one to yeah. tell you. I mean, you have to be careful with that right definitely because you get all Kerouac about it and some next thing you know you wake up and someone has stolen all your clothes yeah yeah or, I mean, or, you might worse, get a good or your song. kidneys yeah you might get a good song out of it but that's <laughs> sure. that's a dear you price to play you have a great play. song out of it but you're short a couple kidneys short a so. kidney and all your clothes so anyway I mean I kind of got off on a tangent there but I really wanted to talk a little bit about that I, I mean I just love the logistics of being being out and traveling there's something maybe it's just in your blood once you, you love logistics 
You want a job? I love the logistics oh, of okay. traveling. Oh, like, I see. I guess I kind of do in a way. <laughs> you want a you want a job? But the uh, you know once you're out there and doing it and meeting those people and 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 that that kind of grind, it's just different from you know I I got into this business because I didn't want the work a day world. Sure, I'm not a punch a clock kind of guy where you show up, you do the same thing every day. That's like death to me. And a lot of me, my musician friends are that way too. And as much as I love home, I need that counterbalance of that adventure. Mm-hmm. Just just get out and go and see and do. Yeah. So, you know, put a little put a little Joe Armstrong army man on your dashboard and take that with you. That's me. I don't want to see I want to see all that stuff. Man. I'll take your tangent one further. I mean, I cuz I I love I love the life, you know. But I also I really love America. I really love being in all these cities, yeah. you know. Yeah, it's um, all part of it. T- you know, Tulsa and Memphis, you know, all throughout Texas. I mean, I love I love the history of it, and um, you know, I mean that that's a big part of it. I'm looking forward to. Yeah, it. and you you can read about these things, but the only real way to to know is to actually be there. Yeah, exactly. The and, angle of the sun, the taste of the air, yeah, the yeah. smell of the the river or whatever. Yeah. You know, and you are, mentioned before want, wanting to read more books. You know, when we were talking earlier, and I uh, mostly for most of my life have read rock bios. And I love a good rock bio, but a few years ago, I kind of burned out and started reading a ton of American history. Mm-hmm. And so it's really, um, it changes it changes how you tour and, yeah. how, and how you look at, at towns and, and people in, in different regions. Yeah. Um, and so, I'm not, and that, so that's one of the more interesting parts for me coming up here. So how much of... But anyway, like, that's a tangent. That's no, no, a well, we're, we're like double tangented now because I'm actually, <laughs> we're going to get to a song in a second, but I have another question before we do this and we'll skip, sure. we'll skip the producer thing until after the next song. Sure. Um, how much of, there, there's this there's this social media burden that we all bear now, especially when we're our own artists and our own promoters and our own booking guy and all that kind of thing. Like, you know, you see bands like, uh, gosh, uh, what's her name? Uh, 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 Nick, Nick uh, Bloom. Nikki Bloom, mm-hmm. yeah. where her and, and the band, like they'll the be- The Gramblers. Do, the Gramblers, yes. And when they're out on tour in the van, they're making little videos right. while they're on tour. Now, granted, there's a few of them, so that's a little easier, but they're posting those like from the road. It's, it's like a constant feed of stuff. And that's the thing about social media. It's got to be this constant feeding this thing. Will you be like live blogging the tour? Will you be doing Instagram along the way, shooting pictures yeah, of you no, by the I'm Mississippi gonna... and the Stevie Ray Vaughan statue? Like, sure, yeah, all that stuff. I mean, the, you, you have to. Yeah, uh, just to just to compete, you have to do that. You know, everyone does it, whether you are working for Target or you have a Garage Band. Yeah, there's a Twitter handle. Uh, so you know, every everyone is using the media, but um, you know, Nikki Bloom is a good example. That that video she did where they do a, they're doing like a acapella yeah. rendition of uh, Hall & Oates. Or, yeah, or, there's like eight or ten songs they've done like that now. It's pretty, I mean, it's good the stuff. reason why that is good is because that's a good idea. Right. It's not good because it's on Facebook or, or Twitter or wherever it was. Like, that's not the good part of it. It's good because it was a really good idea. It's just a funny, clever idea. Yeah. You have the little camera, and they're rolling down the road, and they're kind of singing the drum parts and the bass part and it's just yeah. it's funny and it's smart and it's different yeah so they were kind of i don't know if they were the first to do it it's certainly the first time i saw somebody do it and that's and that's what everyone is kind of looking for and i think you kind of stumble upon it that's what happens with these people who have something that goes viral yeah a lot of the time they're just kind of stumbling on it. they don't think about 
they don't think about yeah. like monetizing it or whatever it is. Right. It's just it's just this thing that kind of happens, and it's what we're all looking for. But the short answer is, um, I'm going to be doing as much of that as possible. Okay. Yeah, well, that's, that's what I was hoping because that's the thing, and it'll be somewhat of a challenge. You're doing it by yourself. Yeah, it's not like you can be editing on uh, iMovie on your phone while you're driving down the road. Well, probably but not making the movies, stuff. but but you know, pictures and just posts and and you know, I think I, I think that uh, social media and, and Facebook is a good is certainly a good way to to kind of you know, kind of advertise your, your stuff a little bit. And I was talking with Robbie Riss last night. We went out to grab a beer, and we were talking oh. about how the fact that musicians, when you have a smartphone, which almost everybody has now, you know, uh, below a certain age, um, you as an artist are now competing with the whole sum of the human experience <laughs> in everyone's pockets. It's not just like being at a bar and having a TV above your head when you're playing your show. Now everyone has their the wire on their phone right. and they have breaking bad on their phone and they have all of the internet on their phone and plus access to everyone else. Mm-hmm. They can go text their mom and, you know, Instagram something to their boyfriend or whatever, you know? Yeah. So now we're competing with even more. So what, but what it allows you to do on the positive side is that it remembers you to, it's a reminder to do what you set out to do in the first place, which is to create with a capital C. Sure. Whether you're creating music or creating videos or creating whatever it's content generation, I guess we're getting all, corporate about it but that's the basic idea yeah i mean it, it is all about i mean it is all about that music and that stuff is just you know that's a macro uh version of what the music industry uh went through at the end of the 90s yeah which you know music suddenly had to compete with all this other stuff you know besides you know six channels and a couple movies right. every week there's so many more movies now, indie movies. There's more channels. The internet makes all this stuff uh, more easily available. Just video games, everything. And so yeah. the, the music business took that hit. And then, and then what you're saying is kind of the macro of that. It's like each person. This is essentially like an ex- existential argument that yeah. we're having here. Is every person has the has it all in the palm of their hand, and not just music, but everything. Right. All, all information. Right, at all times. <laughs> at all times. And that's, you know, it's. I think it's going to be interesting to see where the human race goes with that. Yeah. I, I wonder if it will reach some kind of critical mass and then, you know, go back. I mean, that's yeah. the nature. You know, there's progress, but there's also a back and forth thing. Yeah, cycles. It'll get too much and then something will cycle back. Yeah, indeed. All right, let's talk about some more music. I love this conversation, but I want to get to yeah, some more music. Yeah, no, I got pretty heavy there I for love a that stuff, though, man. This is the good stuff. This is what this is all about, man. It's like we're at the bar, except we're not. Anyway, I'm talking with Brian Whelan, my friend, excellent musician. He's spent the last four years in Dwight Yelkman's band, but now he's back out on his own. So you got to get out and support this guy. Drop by brianwhelanmusic.com. You can follow him on Twitter, at Whelan Music, W-H-E-L-A-N Music. He's got a bunch of shows coming up, just one at T-Boyle's Tavern, which is in Pasadena. It's the California Roots Union show. That is on Saturday, the 21st of February. Check that out. And after that, if you happen to be in the Southwest along I-10 somewhere, yeah. you'll probably find him. I-40 I- out and I-10 back. Yep, Tempe, Flagstaff, Santa Fe, Oklahoma City, Tulsa, Dallas, Houston, Austin, et cetera, et cetera. Anyway, more music. What's this next song, Brian? Uh, this next song is from the unreleased record. This is uh, written by my friend Ross Flournoy. He gave it to me very kindly. This song is called The Only Thing Too Good to Be True Is You. All right, Brian. Here we go, man. 
different crowd But I just kept falling down I changed the clothes and a new routine Wound up right back here at the beginning Breaking away from you is the hardest thing to do The only thing too good to be true is you Whoa, oh, oh, oh. Drive all night till I'm out of the love Eyes chained on a city light They dance on the lake Then they fade in the mirror Breaking away from you Is the hardest thing to do The only thing too good to be true is you I should have known when I got home Everything would turn out fine But the way you shape your words Leaves doubt hotel room I called the doctor, I called the priest The one that I need is the one that I see the least Breaking away from you is the hardest thing to do The only thing too good to be true is you Whoa, oh, is Joe Armstrong. His name is Brian Whelan. Another excellent song, man. I love that turnaround change thing in there. That's pretty, pretty good stuff, man. And I also love the, per- the parenthetical title. We sure. talked about this before. The, the only <laughs> thing too good to be true is you, but the too good to be true, wait, the too good to be true is you part needs to be in parentheses. Right. We don't it, wanna, it could happen that way. We don't want to get all Suffy and Stevens on it. Uh, <laughs> cram as many words. And he's got a new record coming out, too. Cram as many records or as many words in there as we can possibly think. So this got pushed back. We were talking. I wanted to hear about your production, which is like a whole other aspect of the music business and a whole other aspect of your career. Because that's something you can do concurrently while you're playing in a band like Dwight's Band, where you're going out on most weekends to do a set of shows, yeah. maybe a run of a few <clears throat> dates here, a few dates there. So... Talk to me. I mean, was that something you always wanted to do, produce other artists, or did you just kind of fall into it? Well, I mean, um, I, I kind of fell into it. It's definitely, um, it definitely suits, suits me because I like to talk about music. Yeah. That, that's kind of at the root of it. Um, and, you know, I never really saw myself that way. I've been the youngest guy in the room or the band or whatever for a long time, but that's starting to change. You know, I'm I'm getting older and there are some uh, younger guys around and, and even if they're not younger, maybe less experienced uh, who are 
wanting to get into music and they, they actually come to me and, and ask about this. And that's kind of the real interesting, the real interesting part was actually being asked for, for help. I mean, what do you think of my music? What do you think I should do? And, um, you know, I, I haven't really been asked that a lot. Yeah. You know what I mean? I, I just have come up playing and, you know, you get hired and you, you play music and that, and that's the gig. And, you know, no one asks what, what you think. And that's fine, but it, it was a great, um, that's kind of the best part of it. I was kind of flattered to be yeah. asked. The first thing I produced is an artist named Rod Malasson, who I believe has been on the yeah. show, yes? Yeah. So Love his, the Rod. Yeah, yeah, he's great. And uh, his record, Parish Lines, was the first record that I uh, produced as a solo producer. I had some co-production uh, credits in the past with Angie Correa and Ross Flournoy, but... Um, that was the first one that I just produced from beginning to end. And, you know, that was a very cool experience. Did you like it? Yeah. No, I loved it. We, we did pre-production, uh, recording, mixing, mastering. And uh, along the way, I ended up, you know, with a co-write. Um, you know, and it's just, it's, uh, it's flattering in a way to have the trust, but it's also kind of, it's like a... How do I put this? I felt like I was uh I felt like I was in the right place when I was doing it. You know what I mean? Um you know, I have a knowledge of of music theory and actual music from from going to school and taking piano lessons and everything. And then I also have this obsessive liner note thing where I always read who's playing what, you know, like I mentioned before rock bios and yeah. You know, learning about studios and microphones and all that stuff. Um, you know, it's like how many jobs are there where you can actually monetize that, that yeah. knowledge? Because at a certain point, it just becomes this kind of minutia that you're just storing on your, on the hard drive of your brain. And it yeah. doesn't, you know what I mean? Like if you know who played bass on some song yeah. and why, I mean, it's like... Well, it's like you're switching what you would do, uh, you would do anyway. Like you're switching from input to output in terms of that kind of thing. Because right. it's, it's, it's different from doing your own music because you can produce your own music as well. Some people do. Um, but you know, and I, that's such a fascinating process. Yeah. I, mean, I think you and I share that in common in terms of like, I was always a liner note junkie. And to this day, the first thing I do when I get a record, I open it up and I see where it was recorded, where it was mastered, who played on what song, what in, unusual instrumentation might be on there, where I can cross-reference those musicians to other people's records or mm -hmm. other people's bands. Uh, and, and that's I was the history. Always like that. I mean, that's the history of of the business, and that's uh, it's also you know it's the it's the culture. I mean, it's, it's yeah. just part of it. And you know, like I say, there are just not a lot of ways where that is useful. I mean, it's interesting, but it's kind of like, well, what is the practical use for that knowledge that you've accumulated? And I think that production is um, for me is one of the answers. You know, you can actually, you can pass some of that knowledge along yeah. and try to actually use it to, to help somebody who isn't sure what they want to do. And how involved in, like, let's take Rod's record, for example, Extremely. Parish Lines. So, like, when he would bring you songs, it's just him and a guitar. Yes. He'd give you a tape, he just sits there with him, and then... Sometimes they're recording from his iPhone, or sometimes he would just sit there and play it, and we started from the, the very bottom. Now started they, from the ground. He would bring in uh, his lyrics written out, and we would talk about, I mean, we just talked about every aspect of it. So we're talking about the, you know, songs and the chords and things. But um, I got into the lyrics a lot with him. 
And like I said, I, I only ended up, I only made changes on one song that made it a, a co-write. A lot of it was arranging and editing. But I would say I was extremely involved um, yeah. in the production of that record, you know, getting the, you know, getting the band, getting the engineer, like I say, or arranging and editing. Um, even the art, you know, and sequencing, I, I was, yeah. I was really there for the whole thing yeah. until it was mastered and done and, and they were, they were sending them out to be duplicated. So in a situation like that, though, because he approached you about that, yes. that right? So it wasn't as if he had already... Because the thing I always feel about with producers that's essential is that uh, establishment of a level of trust. Because that, that music is from people's hearts. That's very, very personal stuff, especially in our field, the singer-songwriter genre. So that was already there. Right. It was a given that he trusted you. So when he took you, like he could then open up enough to say, hey, you know, what do you think of this verse? I don't know if this line works or whatever. You know, because with some people, like sometimes there's an adversarial relationship with a band and a producer. Uh, yeah, but this didn't sound like it was like that at all. Uh, no, I mean there, there's an arc to it, and so there was a little bit of that because you're kind of, I mean, it's the same way with a band or anything or any relationship. You spend enough time together at that kind of proximity, a close proximity, you're gonna have ups and downs. But I, you know. Uh, I'm grateful to Rod for putting his trust in me because, you know, no one had ever asked me to produce a record for them before. So it went beyond just kind of being flattered. And, and when I look back now, I'm very grateful for, for the opportunity he gave me to kind of, like I said before, feel like I was in the right place. Yeah, yeah. Uh, because he did put his trust in me. And I think that we made a good record. And I just, I think it kind of, it was a win-win in that sense. Yeah, 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 definitely. So is this something uh, Is this something that you enjoy enough to kind of keep doing? Is it something you're going to continue to do between your own projects, that kind of thing? Uh, yeah, absolutely. Okay. I mean, it's, uh, it, it's all just kind of scheduling and, and money, and most importantly, if someone asks. Yeah. Um, I, I remember asking, uh, I've asked a couple people if I could produce them, and that hasn't ever worked out. Yeah. So um, I think that they, they kind of got to come to you and ask you. And I, you know, from doing Rod and certainly from, um, you know, being connected to Dwight, I'm getting some more of those opportunities now. Yeah. And it's just a lot of things. It's like a lot of years have gone by now and yeah. a lot of connections and people are like, hey, maybe that guy could give me, um, could give me some help and, and uh, uh, and of course, I would love to do more yeah. of it. And then when it comes to doing your own music, uh, do you prefer to have someone else producing you, or are you a comfortable enough person to do like the Mark Knopfler thing and produce your own record? Uh, you know, I mean, you're, the artist is always going to have a say because they're the artist. Of course. And they're writing the stuff, and I'm no exception to that. But I have found over these last two years with Mitch Marine that I really enjoyed having a producer. Um, and part of the producer's job is to is to kind of help you make decisions. To to be real blunt, I mean they, um, you know, indecisiveness is kind of the silent killer for artists, and uh, you know that in in the hand in hand with procrastination, and so you'll kind of you'll just get bogged down, not being able to decide which way to go, and to have someone come in and go, I think it should go this way. It's like great. Yeah. Let's go that way. 
Yeah, the abdication of certain responsibility is a relief. You know, yeah. So it's like that. We we started off this whole interview talking about like having a burden, re, you know, removed from your shoulders. Yeah. So you give someone else, you know, it's not like so much power. It's not so much look at it that way because it's a it's a good relationship that you have ideally with the producer. Right. But having someone, just like you said, to shepherd it through, to mm-hmm. corral it through, so you can focus on being the artist. Exactly. And not have to make all those little decisions. There's enough pressure with that, um, and I been have had enough experience where this doesn't get to me quite as much but like for instance rod is hearing himself back on the playback sing a vocal and then hear it back i mean he hadn't really done that very much you know what i mean right and so you know there's a lot of pressure just in that you're kind of hearing yourself back and you don't sound on the playback like you sound in your head and this and that and the other thing, and it's like there's enough pressure without having to figure out every other every other thing. Yeah, because you, know, you get down that road with a lot of artists, like they start getting their confidence shaken, and then man, like that, sometimes the whole thing crumbles like a house of cards. Yeah. Well, and that and that was uh, you know we hired an um, you know Mark Rains engineered that record, and we took the stuff we thought it sounded great. We had some rough mixes, and we took it to another mixer, uh, another mix engineer, uh, and it wasn't as good. Like he wasn't beating the rough mix. And that was, that was one moment where Rod's confidence kind of crumbled a little bit. And, and to be honest, mine too, because I wasn't quite sure how we were going to get out of that briar patch. You know what I mean? But yes, it can happen. The confidence can get shaken. And that's kind of, you know, that was a, a big moment for me to kind of try to keep it together. Yeah. And, well, and that's just your job. get through that. Yeah. As the producer, like that's now your responsibility to figure out the way out of that <laughs> sure. the briar patch. But it was new territory for me, right. is, is what I'm saying. Like, yes, that is my job, but I was kind of like, I was sitting there going, wow, this is really screwed up. And then like, oh yeah, this is my job yeah. to fix this. Yeah. So, you know, a lot a lot was learned in that process. And um, yeah, like I say, I'm glad he gave me the chance. Yeah. And it's a great record, man. You guys did great Thank work. You. Yeah, great it's work. cool. You know, he said it's coming, it's becoming a bit of a calling card for me to the people who want to have kind of like uh it's very funny to me thinking about it. i guess it's true but i've heard this now from a lot of people that are looking for some some like rock and roll edge and i'm kind of i think it's pretty cool to that people think of me that way to yeah. be honest it's like you know i saw i put a thing on facebook the other day i saw you know the buddy holly story with gary Busey when i was you know seven years old or six years old or something and and I knew that's what I wanted to do. Yeah. And I went and sought out, you know, Buddy Holly and Elvis and Chuck Berry and just always knew that was what I wanted to do. And, and rock and roll is just kind of in my blood. And so to kind of have someone come and go, you know, I really want some of that rock and roll energy. I mean, yeah. I think you're the guy to ask. I'm just kind of like, the plan is the plan is working. Yeah, Fine. Man. You know, after, you know, 20 years, 25 years or whatever, it's like, it feels good. Well, you've put in the work. You know, it seems, I use this the second time I've used this word, but it seems kind of inevitable in a way, which isn't to say that you, you know, you still have to do the work, right? you know, but you've got the talent and then you do the work and then you start reaping the benefits. And this is when you get the guitar shaped pool, of course, this is when you get your tour <laughs> yes, bus sure. with your giant lava lamp in it. And this is when, 
you get the Twinkie endorsement, and this is you know this, this is the gravy. Anyway, uh, I'm talking with Brian Whelan, man. He's such a good musician, <laughs> such a good human being. Spent the last several years with Dwight Yoakam. He's kickstarting his own career, which makes me very very happy to hear that he's doing that because you really got to see this guy play. You should pick up his records. Drop by BrianWhelanMusic.com. Follow him on Twitter at Whelan Music, uh, and you'll get a chance to see him live Saturday night at T Boyle's Tavern in Pasadena. I really 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 want to hear about just one more thing after this song about Dwight Yoakam's like this working arrangement you had with Dwight because it's just kind of pull back the curtain a little bit and tell sure. us what that kind of situation is. Are we talking about like. that or are we going to hear a song? No, we're going to hear a song first. Oh, okay. I'm teasing that, Brian, is what we call that. Oh, I'm gosh. I'm teasing him saying, hey, <laughs> after this song, I want you to tell me about this. I'm sorry. I'm, no. new, to the, I'm new to radio. Okay. Pay no attention to that man behind the curtain. So, well, Brian. We're, gonna, we're teasing that conversation right, right. now and, right, and we're going to hear a song. This song uh, I wrote with a very talented young lady uh, here in town named Phoebe Bridgers. And this song is called Sucker Punch. Okay, Brian Whelan on Independence Day. I try to keep it all together. Got to keep my head on straight Don't want to rustle any feathers, oh But it might be too late I got a sixth sense of humor as I I'm sure you know I'm a sucker puncher when I get this love So bombs away, bombs away Beautiful and gone so fast Bombs away, bombs away all that's left is dust tonight I hear static on the radio Feel that sidewalk start to crack I'm the poison in the water oh. I will make your stomach black I can't make excuses you File complaints all My good intentions won't make me a saint So bombs away, bombs away Beautiful and gone so fast Bombs away, 
comes away All that's left is dust and Independence Day, Brian Whelan. Man, that's a wonderfully depressing song. Sure. But you know what, man? There's nothing better, though, man. It's like my favorite thing in the world. Uh, you know, funny thing about that song, uh, the, the young woman I wrote it with, Phoebe, is, uh, you know, I think that she's maybe 20 or 20, maybe 21. I think she's just 20. She's, you know, out of high school. And she... A kid like you were. Yeah, but and, you know, but took... Is taking a different path, which I think is really impressive and brave, you know, just out of high school is just doing it, uh, just working on her own career full time as a, as a musician, you know, which is pretty ballsy at that age. And I'm, you know, really proud of her for doing that. But I really, we got together to write this song and um, <clears throat> we get together to write this song and we start working on it and I'm I'm kind of thinking like that she's going to sing the song. So I'm coming up with like some of the saddest stuff I can come up with because that's kind of her. If you haven't heard her material, it is, it is very sad. A lot of it. And it kind of has, and I think it's because of her age, there's a certain like teenage melodrama to this music. It's uh, some, you know, kind of emotional, um, and so I was kind of trying to write that kind of song for her to sing. And then in the process, realized that I had basically written a song about myself for me to sing, which I, I thought was kind of was kind of interesting. I guess what I'm saying is I, there's a, a teenage girl inside of me that's just fighting to get out. Uh, you know, I, I love going there. And by there, I mean as a writer putting yourself in other positions. Yeah. You know, it's almost like an exercise in writing. I and mean, it sounds like you did it without even trying. You yeah. Know, or maybe you were trying to do something different, but then wound up doing that as an exercise. Yeah. I just thought it was ironic because I was, I was trying to, you know, write something for her because it seems like she is into this stuff that's like melodramatic. And I kind of realized that I'm at least that melodramatic myself, yeah. if not more. Yeah. And wrote this song. And at the end, she was like, well, that's like the saddest thing. I've ever heard. Yeah. <laughs> but you know what, man? I don't know. I love, I love depressing art. I don't know. There was an article I read uh, maybe in like November-ish or so of last year where someone had did this, done this big study about how depressing music makes people happy or makes some people it's happy. by comparison. Which is right? weird. It's a weird thing about the human condition because I'm definitely that way. Like To me, there's nothing better in the world than like a really happy sounding song with really sad lyrics. Right. Like that's the best thing. Well, yeah, and that's you know to get back to our teaser, that's that's a lot of what Dwight does. Yeah, if you really like listen to that music, it, it the lyrics are often very very sad, um, just 
dealing with a lot of love and loss in, in more general terms. Right. And, um, you know, that's, that's been one of the great things. And I mentioned earlier, getting to be in the studio with him to, to watch his process was kind of just, it was invaluable as a writer to kind of watch that happen. Yeah. I want you to tell me about that process. But first, since we didn't get to talk about this the last time that you were here a few years ago, tell me the, the quick version of how you got into the band because you couldn't really talk about oh, it. Oh, gosh. We didn't even talk. Okay. Well, I got we into the band. The I got into the band uh, because the guy who I replaced, a guy named Josh Grange, a fantastic musician, was, um, he was, he didn't really have time to do it. He was juggling a bunch of gigs. And we had worked together with Randy Weeks and some other artists over at the Cinema Bar, and he recommended me. It's just one of the kindest things anyone's ever done for me. So one day your phone rings in a tube. Well, the first thing that happened was Josh called me and told me that he had recommended me. And so did I want to do it and whatever. And I said, of course. And so um, then I got a call to go down to Dwight's office in uh in hollywood and hang out with him and that was my you know it was an interview so no music just hanging out zero music that was all uh it was all just josh's recommendation so like i say i mean i just he had he trusted me and because of that dwight trusted me and i think it was fruitful you know for for both of us um but yeah i went down and talked to him for an hour we talked about uh, the Beatles a lot. I think he t- took one look at me and was like, I'll bet this guy likes the Beatles, and, and that's what we talked yeah. about. And and that was it. The rest was history. He asked me to go get a pedal steel guitar and, so learn, how, and learn how to play like it. At that interview, he said at that? The inter- yeah, because he, he just asked me, he goes, you know, the gig is these instruments, and listed them off, and I knew how to play most of them, but I didn't know how to play the steel and... Um, he goes, well, he goes, do you want to learn how to play the steel? And I said, sure. And he goes, okay. I well, don't not want to learn how to play pedal <laughs> steel. I mean, I had never thought of it. Yeah. And uh, he just said, well, go out. And, and we kind of laughed about it a little bit because he he knows what a screwed up instrument that is and yeah. how difficult it is. But he just... It's like, it's like wrestling an octopus, which is simultaneously <laughs> fighting a dragon. Yeah. And it's like just at it. It's just keeping it in tune. Is just like a never-ending thing. But, yeah, he asked me if I want to learn. I said, you know, for you, anything. And I went and got it. And, um, yeah, it's, it's again, it's all part of this, what a great opportunity it was. Because, you know, it was really hard to learn that instrument. And at times I was very embarrassed to be um, kind of crapping the bed in on stage in front of like 2000 very people. high profile way to like jump in and build your wings yeah and i i thought i sounded good on the other instruments and that i you know i felt like i deserved to be there but um yeah i mean i was embarrassed at times because i'm sitting next to a world-class drummer and this world-class front guy and everyone in the band is just killing it right and i'm like on uh you know six months on the pedal steel or something like that and it sounds like, you know, cats out in the alley. And everyone knows, I mean, you know what I mean? And all God's children can hear it, too. Yeah, and all God's children can hear it. And I got to I gotta hand it to Dwight. You know, he, for whatever his reasons were, he let me learn on the bandstand. Yeah. 
and it was uh i mean it's pretty i've always had good stage presence i don't really get rattled on stage that rattled me and going through that it's like it's pretty hard it's even harder to rattle me now because yeah. it's like look i mean i've like murdered this instrument you know what i mean like trying to you know because i only would play steel on songs that had steel solos so it's not like i'm sitting there doing like atmospheric right 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 you know what i mean it's You're like not doing daniel and was no Lan-Wast i mean deal. you go there and sit down and then it's time to like take your break take your little solo and it's like i mean i had some rough nights so you know but going through that like like they say it just makes you stronger you know what yeah. i mean and now it's now it's awfully hard to to rattle me, you know what I mean? Yeah, well, that's, I mean, what a great opportunity to be able to grab a hold of and do. Yeah. You know, because it's, uh, I'm trying to think of another example like that. It's like, okay, now you're the captain of a nuclear submarine, go. Yeah, well, that's that's giving it a little too much credit, but you I... Know, well, I'm just talking about, you know, something that... But just something you just have... Something like, okay, you're a, you're a sailor, right? <laughs> you've been on a boat, you know, you've probably even been on a submarine, but then someone goes, okay, now here's this, Here's go. the reins. Go. Sure. You know, no, don't screw it up. I, I thought I thought that it was I thought that it was like that, but there's, you know, I was actually in, in a curious development. I was working at the auditions for my replacement, right? And, um, you know, I don't know if I mentioned, but Jonathan Clark, who you've had on the show, the, the bass player, yeah, he's he's also leaving the band. Oh, is he really? Yes, okay. he his last gig was was also my last gig. So they had a, a cattle call audition in Hollywood. And Jonathan and I both were working there. We were helping out. Mm-hmm. And so you kind of see all of these people coming in. It was, it was quite the, the trip, kind of watching this from that, from that um, vantage point. And, you know, I think that a big thing with Dwight, I don't want to speak for him, but my feeling is that he wants you to say yes. You know what I mean? Like, he, he doesn't really want you to go, oh, you know, I don't really feel comfortable playing steel. I've never played it. It'll probably sound pretty bad. I don't, I don't feel comfortable. Like, yeah. he ain't hearing that. He just wants you to say, sure. And then he'll deal, like, he knows it's going to sound how it's going to sound. Yeah. Like, he's a really smart guy. So yeah. it's like, but he wants, it's, it's attitude. Right. And that's a, you know, a, again, just a valuable lesson. Because you know you see all these these guys come in for the audition and and they they all have different they have different attitudes, it's, different from one another. And the guy course. and the guys who said yes were the guys who got the the spots. Right. You know what I mean? Because yeah. no one it was, the guy who was replacing me is the same. Um, it's almost exactly the same. He's the same age as me when I got when I got the gig, and he's a great singer, piano player, and guitar player and he's going to learn steel for this gig right i mean does well, that sound just familiar a, yeah you talk know. to me a little bit because that's the thing people i love the role of the utility guy in right. a band or girl in a band where you know everyone knows what the guitar player does and the bass player does and the drummer and the singer does but what you did is something i mean i've done this numerous times because like i tinker with a bunch of different instruments we're sitting here around several of them right now sure and i'm not good certain you know i'm I always say I'm de- decreasing levels of proficiency you know, is when I list my <laughs> instruments, right? And, sure, well, I do that too. But, but, I, but I like that because I get bored doing the same thing, even the stuff that I'm good at and love, which is guitar, vocals, right. et cetera. I get bored doing that, so I like these other instruments. So what you were doing, tell me what your job was in this band. You've alluded to it. You're playing... Yeah, I was uh, utility or auxiliary, you know, multi-instrumentalists is the one that I prefer, Um but I was mostly playing piano and organ 
and I did a lot of background singing. And then in smaller amounts, uh, guitar, you know, electric guitar, pedal steel, mandolin, accordion, and uh, some percussion, like yeah. hand percussion. So it was just a little bit everything, often within the song, switching around. So, you know, in a way, it's kind of entertaining. It's a little, yeah. it's a little bit kind of part of the show. Is like watching this guy juggle. Yeah, you know, in the back. Um, and I was very, I was very fortunate to, um, on this new record, well, on the first record on three pairs, I actually played a lot of bass and then on this new record, I ended up playing a lot of guitar. Secondhand Heart is the, what that's called. It's yeah. coming out in April, I think, right? Yes. Uh, Secondhand Heart. Brand new, new Dwight Yoakam. Brand new Dwight Yoakam. Uh, April 14th is on, uh, Warner, Warner Brothers, Warner Burbank. And, uh, it's very cool. It's a very cool record and it's. It's like some, there's a lot of stuff on there where all three of, you know, Dwight and Eugene and I are all playing electric guitar. And it's just like some rave up guitar stuff. There's a lot of, you know, high energy stuff like that. So I was pretty excited to get to play a lot of guitar and a bunch of these songs actually playing lead guitar. Gene and I kind of split them, split them up. And uh, so it's pretty cool, you know, like I can, I played guitar, you know, lead guitar yeah. on a Dwight Yoakam records in some pretty good company there. So. It's it's good stuff. So tell tell me this too, like because we're almost out of time here. We're actually going a little long, but this is such interesting stuff. Um, tell me about you know you start you get into Dwight's band because he was just starting. Was he had he written the songs for Three Pairs when you joined the band? Because you jumped pretty much into the studio pretty soon after you were in the band, right? Uh, yeah, and I, I think that he there's a uh, it seemed to me like there was a, a combination of uh, some older songs that he'd had laying around for, you know, various times that he worked up, uh, a few covers, Oh, a few covers. And then I think he, I remember a lot of stuff that was actually kind of like kind of written by him in the studio where he would kind of come in with this idea and we would start doing it, especially three pairs was like that. So, you know, that was, Again, I alluded to this earlier, but but watching watching him in that process was a very valuable thing just for me in in my own kind of creative pursuits to kind of see a great songwriter write songs. I mean, how many people how many people get to do that? Like on the spot, you're saying. Sometimes I mean, the talent the talent is like shooting out of the guy. You know what I mean, and it, obviously he's a big he's a big deal, um, but it's it's no joke. I mean, he kind of if it's time to write a song, he can he can write one, and it's like a great sense of uh, hooks and melody. So then, how? Let's talk nitty gritty for just a second. Like, how does he decide who's playing what? Does he you know? Does he, he brings a song in. You guys <clears throat> yeah, do that, a dry take, and then he goes, "Well, hey, Brian." How about yeah, accordion? Sure. I mean, it was always different. That was always different. You know, Mitch always was playing drums, and that's usually where it starts is with, with Dwight and Mitch. Um, in the beginning, at, at the first half of three pairs, I was playing bass, and it was just the three of us in the studio. So we would do that and then overdub stuff. He would overdub his own guitars. I would overdub other instruments. And then if they needed something else, you know, strings or whatever, um, 
they they would they would get it. And is he the kind of guy that he would turn to you guys at any point and say, I don't know, what do you think? What does this need? Uh, not really. No, okay. I mean it's it's um, you know, it's his party, you know, and I uh, I for for one, I felt that you know, it's like I think he's just he's earned that, you know what I yeah, mean? Definitely. So, so I didn't really, I didn't ever really say that. Like, hey, what about this? Um, I found that the best way, if I had an idea of something I thought would sound good, I I just played it, and he would either tell me that tell me yes or no. Yeah, and being in that position gives you the opportunity to do that. Yeah, but talking you know? about it, you know, and not just with him, but with anybody. I mean, talking about it is kind of a waste of time. It's like if you're in there making music and trying to be creative, then you just just play it. Do the thing you want to do, and it, you better believe someone will tell you if it didn't work in. Yeah. Whether it's him or, or anybody else, they'll tell you if yeah. they don't like it. Yeah, and Brian, I think we should leave it there, man. I mean, we've talked about a lot of different stuff. We've talked about your career, what you're doing with it. You talked about we've talked about the tour you're about to do, which will kind of wind up at South by Southwest and then move your way back to Los Angeles. Yeah. Uh, you know, we've talked about your brand new record, which isn't even a record yet. You've got songs recorded. Are they fully mastered, mixed, ready to go, or are they it's mixed? Yeah. Okay. I got a, all the songs are mixed um, that we've done over the last couple of years, and I'm just trying to figure out what to do. I'm juggling monkeys over here. So in all likelihood, we'll see some kind. <laughs> of recorded output by you later this year probably uh, absolutely okay well I'm, I'm, i look forward to that i look forward to joe hearing. As, thank you so much as for i always me. do so go see brian whelan and his band full band this saturday right full band this saturday t boils all right t boils in pasadena uh and then after that tempe flagstaff santa fe oklahoma city tulsa dallas houston i feel like that song that johnny cass song uh but i'm not going to go on from there man it's been such a great time talking to you and please 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 stay in touch let me know what's going on in your world and and i i say this with everything that i have and everything behind me best of luck Thank you, sir. So it's great to be here, doing. man. It's been an honor and a pleasure. All right. So thanks to Brian Whelan, also to the Independence Day staff, Valentina Rivera, Dale Tanksley, Wayne Topinski, and Sally Shackleton. The Randy Tony Tone Loke Piscotti manages the Independence Day website. Independence Day's theme music was composed by Great Lakes Myth Society. For Independence Day, I am Joe Armstrong. If you do anything, please be good to one another.